0: Hey Chris, this is John. I'm uh, in the birthplace of Shiva, near Manali, in the Himalayas. I've just landed my paraglider and regular camp. And i uh, just like to say thank you for your podcast. I really appreciate your irreverent commentary. And uh, peace and love to all the tangential listeners. Uh, life is good. and. There's a lot of hash in Manali, I can tell you that.
1: Hey, what's up, Chris, and everyone out there in podcast land? This is Chad coming from South Bend, Indiana. Earlier this afternoon, I had the opportunity to register for an event in Canada this summer, working with the Orphan Wisdom School. It's ran by Stephen Jenkinson who was on the podcast, though I've been following Stephen's work for about as long as I've been following Chris's. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, everybody out there. And uh, take it easy, man. Bye.
0: Thank you, Chad and John. Hope you guys are doing well out there in the world, in South Bend and Manali. I doubt I doubt John is still in Manali. Uh, but uh, Chad may be in South Bend, so... Hope you're doing well. Uh, it is mid-August. I'm recording a couple of these in advance, uh, and I'll schedule them to go out when I'm traveling. So today is August 13th, but you may be listening to this. I think this will go out next on the 20th, probably, which means our little thing in Montana is just starting. Uh, assuming that the creek didn't rise and we made it up there. It's weird referencing... The future from within a podcast, trying to inhabit the future. I'm not just talking about it. I'm coming to you from a conditional future in which I did not die in a car crash on the way to Montana, or kill over from a heart attack, or change of plans, come down with COVID, uh, you know, run into a moose. God, so many things could happen between here and Montana, but I'm assuming they didn't. Uh, so, yeah, this episode is the third and final for now episode with the man we are referring to as Nathan, who is um, a psychotherapist and a musician and a scientist living in New York City and... Um, making changes in his life and uh, if you listen to the first two episodes you you know Nathan pretty well by now but for those of you coming in uh, in episode three basically uh, we talked about sort of life transitions in the first focused on on life transitions and you know how do you make big decisions and basically Nathan wanted to pick my brain about the way I think and the way I approach things and um, you know, the way I look back at the time in my life when I was his age, which is, I think, mid-30s, mid to, uh, yeah, early 30s, somewhere in there. Uh, and um, in the second episode, we talked more about uh, work and relationships. And in this third episode, the focus was creativity, the creative process, um you know, finding meaningful, rewarding activities in life that um, can be lucrative in terms of financial rewards, or emotional rewards, or meaningful rewards, or whatever your currency is that you're looking for. Um, yeah, so that's what this episode's about. I'm not going to do much in terms of an intro because, as I say, I'm speaking to you from a future uh, which I I can't really describe. Uh, strangely um, but it is a conjectural future. I'm going to play you out with a a really beautiful piece of music that a guy named Mike Howe sent to me uh, quite a while ago now Um, I may have played it before I I tend to just leave pieces of music in the folder uh, even if I play them because I know with so many episodes you may well have missed it uh, or if you did hear it, you're certainly not tired of it. You heard it a few years ago. It's a beautiful song. It's called Friends Are Lost. Um, it's, it's instrumental. And I'll just read you Mike's email so you get some idea of what's going on here. He says, uh, Chris, apologies. This is not an intro for the podcast. It's a tune I wrote for all the loved ones I've lost along the way. You've talked recently about the loss of your father, and I lost my mother-in-law, who all of us loved on New Year's Eve. Uh, I was honored uh, to see this tune played at her funeral. Um, yeah, and then he talks about the podcast. He listens to it when he goes to bed. <laughs> uh, much love and respect from me here on the southwestern tip of Wales, a place where the Atlantic Ocean sparkles in the summer and often batters us furiously in winter. Keep up the good work and good luck building your life raft. Yes, well, we are trying to build the life raft, and it's going pretty well. There's some interesting developments on that front, which I will let mature a little more before I talk about them too much publicly. Anyway, this song is called, I don't know if it's a song because there are no words. This piece of music is called Friends Are Lost, written and performed by Mike Howe. And if you'd like to learn more about Mike, uh, his website is MikeHowe. That's H-O-W-E dot com. Mike, M-I-K-E, H-O-W-E dot com. He's also on Instagram, Mike Howe Music. And uh, Twitter, Mike music, and everywhere. So, mycowl.com. Friends are lost. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you're not losing too many friends too quickly. And if you do, as uh, Simon Von Gent put it in his beautiful song, I hope you suffer well. Talk to you next time. <music> ¶¶ Nathan, it's what's right. happening, man? It's uh, this is our third little get together, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's it, it is, and and um, yeah, excited to talk to you again. I uh, life is life is good over here. I was just just telling you um, offline and an update on my life, which is that I I quit my job a couple weeks ago, or kind of put in my notice a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I was talking about how that. Our, our first conversation in this series was really, you know, helpful and in um, allowing me to, to to process that and get clarity on it. And so that's just that's an exciting update. It's it's pretty liberating that I've, I've never quit a job before, and
0: it feels good. <laughs> no wait, which which job is this?
1: So you're right. Good question. Because yeah, you have several, right?
0: right? You're like in a band, kind of. Kind yeah. of.
1: Well, well that yeah. that's not a job though right um and this was a. I it was kind of a tech like scientist at a tech company job um right and then my one is just as a clinician in private practice but this was my nine to five i mean this was my my primary job and, and right Feels so good to quit it it's liberating
0: what what is it that feels good is it <clears throat> is it the effect of the, like having free time and not having to get up in the morning and all that stuff or Or is it the follow through of something that's been nagging at you? Like, what Mm -hmm. would you say is the primary benefit psychologically?
1: I feel like. So I'm still I put in a a one month notice two weeks ago, so I'm still kind of cruising into the finish line. Um, But I think the thing that feels best psychologically is just I feel aligned with my values like somebody. Somebody at work said, like, you, you know, you've you've changed a little bit since since you put in your notice, like you're kind of a different person. And I think that's accurate. Like, I just feel like I've known that I don't believe in what my company is doing for a long time since watching Avatar on Christmas, as mentioned, and and in, in the first episode. Uh-huh. And you know, it, it feels good to finally act on that. I think for a while I was kind of hooked into the golden handcuffs and I just knew that I was doing something that wasn't in alignment with what I felt my purpose here was. And um, I just like actively knew I was wasting time kind of in a in a, in a career sense. And so it just right. feels good to be like aligned again with like, OK, this is I am. I. I know something to be true and I'm behaving as if it were such. So right. Feels good.
0: I remember in my twenties, I quit a couple of jobs and, um, and, and it was weird. Like I remember one in particular, uh, I was working for actually for women in community service was, you might've heard me talk about this. It was Mm -hmm. a nonprofit that contracted with the department of labor um, doing some stuff around the job core program. Anyway, all of that's immaterial to what I'm trying to say. Uh, so I was working with lots of women, right? There are women all around me. I was, you know, 28, something like that, maybe a little older. I don't know. I worked for them twice, but, uh, (laughs) so there is, I, I, I kind of felt like, you know, there were some women I was attracted to, obviously. Throw me in a room with 30 women, you know, I'm gonna be attracted to some of them. And but there was never any energy. It, it just felt like, you know, I had no problem with sleeping people with people I was working with. It was this <laughs> was back in the 80s, you could do that. Um, but it it just felt like uh like they weren't into me, you know, and, and I just didn't feel any kind of resonance. And as soon as I quit the job and put in notice. Suddenly all these women were like, well, can we, you want to get a drink sometime? You want to go, oh, you want to do this? You and I was like, oh, they were just waiting until like I wasn't going to be working there anymore. And that's what it was. And then when I did go out with them and, and, you know, got to know them better, I, they, they explained to me, no, it, that's not it. It's just, you seem different. Mm. You, you changed. And and I realized like, oh, now I'm the guy who quits a job. I'm the guy who makes decisions based on what's right for me, not some like, you know, whiny little insecure, oh, I can't, I you know, I can't risk it. I'm I look different to them because of that decision that I've made. It's it's very right.
1: interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 I look different to me too. Like I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like i'd fuck that guy, I, I, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's been he's been whiny this whole time but now I, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember rogan rogan was going on some rant one time and you know he was sort of like i think i don't know whether i was listening to the show or i was on the show but his whole thing was like you know young men need to like work out and you know shave and clean up and whatever like you need to look at yourself in a mirror and say would i fuck that guy yeah. and, and i i know where he's going with it like yeah okay that's good advice you you do need to sort of up your game a little bit but i've never looked in the mirror and thought i'd fuck that guy <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's just a different you know that's i i right. get i get the point but the metaphor didn't quite work for me i guess
1: right 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 right
0: so yeah. uh okay so so that's a big change that's that's good are you yeah. gonna look for a different job or can you support yourself with your um your gigolo, yeah. gigolo
1: work w- w- yeah with my Jlo work is that what you said J- i i never know is it gigolo or gigolo <laughs> gigolo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gigolo yeah my gigolo work is is yeah pretty sufficient um i don't know i don't know whether it's gigolo or gigolo There feels like gigolo right
0: yeah i think i've heard gigolo it's spelled gigolo right
1: yeah i think so strange strange strange. Hmm. um but yeah so i the near-term plan um is actually to go with my my girlfriend to hawaii for a month to farm which is really exciting wow Um, yeah with with this guy who like worked really closely with Paul Stamen's, the, the the
0: mushroom uh, dude
1: mushroom guy, the mushroom hat guy. Um, and so that, that's super exciting. It's, you know, short-term temporary. I think after that, I'll, I'll probably, you know, lo- look for another job. I'm like talking to a potential company right now. I'm, uh, you know, there, I'm, I'm kind of torn between another job and like a, a, a less evil feeling job in, in technology or, something in psychedelics and you know it's that's exploding in the field of, of psychology and psychotherapy and so something something like that but yeah i, I uh there, there's no set in stone plan right now mm. aside from farming which is super exciting
0: that sounds exciting what, what are you going to be farming
1: he has a uh, it's like a permaculture situation, so it's just mm. a lot of different things. I mean, I think mm. one of the main things he has is avocado trees, right? Um, but it's it's like a you know small farm, um, and and you know it's like a bunch of a bunch of different tropical fruits.
0: Sweet, sweet. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's- I I have friends. I I have friends who have a farm in Hawaii, coffee and chocolate uh I think is mainly what they grow um and also I mean this is not relevant to our audience but uh I just did a podcast with uh Dennis McKenna
2: a oh, couple cool. days ago
0: yeah Uh he's a friend I've kn- I've met Paul Stamets a bunch of times um yeah I know a bunch of people in that world so if you decide to pursue that and, and you want some contacts uh, reach out oh, we'll okay. have to use your real name at that point though
1: hey I'm down I'm down yeah. that, that's amazing I, I really appreciate that I might might take you up there. the The world of psychedelics is is so wild and exciting, and I think it can reduce so much suffering. Like I, I really am a, a deep believer in that stuff.
0: Well, hooking you up in that world is the least I can do after convincing you to quit your job, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You you owe me a job now. I'm expecting you know a job out <laughs> of it somehow.
3: You know so Um,
0: anyway what's what's on your mind we 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 sort of envisioned this as a three-part series right part one was was what kind of
1: kind of career kind of career
0: or not right and then part two was more relationship right intimacy right.
1: right right this this part i'm more thinking about really focusing specifically on on creativity um as I've mentioned the whole time throughout, I just have a lengthy list of questions. So right. I have a lot of other tangential areas. Um, but yeah, I, I I think I think creativity is um is is the thing I wanna wanna at least start with, if that's okay with you. And um I, I think that one thing that might be um a bit difficult to traverse is just you know I, I think our relationship with creativity is is probably different like i i'm mostly thinking about music when i'm thinking about creativity and i guess right. for you it's i would i would assume mostly you know writing and and podcasts i i, I don't know if there are other kind of creative pursuits but I, I think we'll we'll be able to bridge the gap um but perhaps it'd be useful to to just give a a overview of of my kind of creative life in relation to music so far yeah um so i've just since i was a little kid was always super fascinated by music i remember just like being so enamored by the piano that was at my at at my grandparents house or at my house um and started taking piano lessons as a kid my parents were were brilliant to not kind of I I started to get disillusioned with like learning music theory. I was, I got bored and my parents were brilliant to allow me to quit um, my, my music lessons um, because that I I kept the, like um, just amazement with, with music, even though I stopped taking lessons. Um, And then ended up shifting over to guitar lessons. I I was always extremely um, embarrassed about my music. I remember I, I would, um, it, it felt I don't know why, just like in the town I grew up in, it felt like or maybe this was just my perception, but my perception was like losers played music in the band and whatever. Mm. And the cool kids were the jocks and the playing sports and whatever. Um, and so I was I was embarrassed. I remember I got my my parents to drive me. I I, I took guitar lessons from a, a guy like a town over so that none of my friends would also take from him and they would Mm. drive me far away to this, this guy's, you know, place, he would, he would teach me guitar. So it was always like, it it was, my relationship with music was almost like something I, I wanted to do, but also, but almost like wanted to not want to do it or something like, Mm. like it was almost like a, almost a guilty pleasure or something. Um, And then you know, I just loved, it. I played a lot of music. Eventually I was like, you know, maybe 15 or so when I realized it was actually desirable to other people, um, namely, you know, at that time women, um, to to be playing music. And it was just one of the most glorious moments in my life where I realized this thing that I deeply loved was actually valued by by others. Um and continued playing music through you know, high school, college, just for fun. Just me. It was like a, a, you know, I play music every day. I just, it's a, it's a stress reliever. It's just like fun. I just, it's like tactile. There's something just like about holding a guitar or playing a drum set. It's just, it's like, it's just, it feels therapeutic in some way. And then got to grad school and a friend I had played music with in, in high school, um wanted to start a band and we you know just did for for fun like not not trying to have anything happen and then over the course of the next like six years or so that band just grew you know not not that big but into like you know for for the small town that i was living in it it grew to be um yeah, you know, we we got signed to a, a little record label and like released a couple albums and played a lot of shows at at you know the 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 good venues in the little town you know and and um it kind of became a thing like um a, a lot of my um decisions in grad school like where to go for my kind of internship residency postdoc thing were like got to stay close to the band you know because. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just, it became a, it became a big part of, of my life. And, and it was, and it was so much fun. It was like, um, you know, just p- playing to crowds and people applauding for you on stage. I, I was the drummer actually in, in this band. Um, it like after, during guitar, I kind of also got into drums and, um and then we released our second album, April 2020 the the pandemic hit um we had been doing it for six years we had all been kind of making life choices to stay in our little southern town and the pandemic hit the second album didn't do as well as the first and we we kind of spread out you know the guitar player moved to San Francisco I moved I was kind of nomadic for a while then moved to New York the bass player moved to Georgia, the guitar player, stayed in Alabama, stayed in the tiny town. Um, And, and I, the band, I mean, we, we, we've played a show maybe once a year or so for the past couple years, not, not much. Um, So it's basically over. Um, I, I think if we all lived in the same place, we would continue to, to play music. I, I know that we would, it was just, it was delightfully fun. Um, but you know, with the, with the pandemic, it like shut down live shows for a long time. And then it just it, kind of the, um, it, 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 feels like we're, yeah, we're, we're just geographically so far away that it's like impossible to, to schedule shows. So now I'm, you know, living in New York city and I have I feel like it's kind of scrambled my relationship with creativity a bit. It feels like um, I am going back to just playing music for fun. I still play music every day. I was just playing guitar before this and I love it. It's so therapeutic. Um, but I feel like I've gotten kind of a taste of like, oh you can like you know you can have influence with this you can you can make things that you can keep for the rest of your life you can that you can show to people you can kind of create like like kind of mine and find things instead of just kind of diddling around on your guitar or like you know kind of like messing around you can you can you can finish a project instead of just exploring and it's left me kind of reconsidering my relationship with, with art um, such that like now I'll, you know, I, I just recently bought this little, you know, tiny mini keyboard kind of thing, you know, to, to try to make music um, and and, you know, finish songs and with no with no, um, I'm not, I'm not trying to get famous or make money or anything, but I, I just, I feel some conflict between part of me that's just like, just do it for fun. And another part of me, that's like kind of, you know, crack the whip and get yourself to, to, to complete things just, you know, like the band kind of naturally did, um, so anyway, it just it just has me looking out into the future of my relationship with art and with music, thinking like, why create? Um you know what how how should I kind of relate to this? Um and 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 you know, like, yeah, like why even make art in, in the first place? Um so so that's kind of yeah, I guess the framework for this, for this conversation. And and then I have, you know some some kind of questions about your process to to try to suss out some some answers there
0: well <clears throat> of the three uh i feel like this is the one i'm least qualified to opine upon <laughs> because my own relationship with creativity is confusing to me um and and also evolving I think evolving kind of rapidly at the moment, which Mm. is strange given my, you know, where I am in life. Um, I don't know if you heard me talking about how uh, I, I talked with a guy from Taylor guitars recently. Um, I have a friend who's a a singer songwriter and I was talking with her about how um, I was thinking about, you know, learning guitar, you know, pl- dicking around with a guitar. And, um, and I thought it could be, you know, an interesting thing to talk about on the podcast occasionally, right? Like a guy, 61 year old guy who starts learning guitar. And uh, and she was like, Oh, let me put you in touch. I have a friend at Taylor guitars. He does artists. I think it's like artist, uh relations or something.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: and, like I'll bet, I'll bet he'd give you a guitar, you know. And I, I'll, and so I ended up talking with this guy, and he's a really nice guy. And and you know, I said to him, like, dude, like I, like I, I, I think I, you know, I've always really loved music, but I think I've been intimidated because I've loved it so much that anything less than excellence on my part would have felt insufficient and so i never really got over the okay. the hump of like my fingers hurt or this is boring or you know like i i never got over that that hump where i could actually have an emotional relationship with what i was doing um and and that has that's a regret that I have in life because I feel so much emotional connection when I listen to it Um, that it just seems weird that I've never developed any emotional connection where I'm actually participating, you know? Mm. Um, And I said, what I feel now is interesting because at this point I feel like you know, there's no pressure. Like I'm never gonna be a great guitarist, or I'm never gonna be, uh, you know, uh, a great musician of any kind. And there's something about getting older where you let go of those ambitions, and it actually frees you up to do things that you know you may have been unable to do earlier when there were expectations, and you know, like, right, um, I'm gonna be good at this, or you know, or it's a failure. And so I think that, you know, that's what's happening in my head as far as creativity at the moment. It's, it's like, um,
1: so, I mean, are, so are you, is that happening with your relationship with guitar? Like, are you,
0: well, I'm still waiting for it. It, it hasn't arrived yet. Oh, oh I see. I um, see. but, but he is sending, sending me this beautiful guitar. Uh,
1: yeah. Taylors are nice.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's a T five G it's called, which is, um, uh sort of an acoustic electric hybrid um so that'll be fun to you know it's it's got settings that sound acoustic but it it's mainly electric and so Mm -hmm. i'm you know i like i want to get different tones and and you know like yeah yeah you know learn uh you know whatever the the wish you were here the easy part at the beginning you know right
3: right, um
0: but but anyway the the point is that that I think, I think you and I talked about this recently. This this friend uh, who was going through a, a sort of depressive period, and and the way he articulated it was, he's like, if you know, if I'm not going to be great, what's the point? Yes. And it's like I, I feel like a lot of us get caught up in that, and uh, especially when we're young, because as you get old, you're forced to let go of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, at 61, I'm not gonna ever be, you know, uh, an excellent guitarist or musician or whatever. And I think there's something freeing about that. So, um, yeah, yeah, and my, you know, creativity is such an interesting thing, because, you know, we generally use it to describe producing something. But it can be expressed in so many different ways, right? Like just um I, I feel it's it's kind of like meditation, like you know, the the initial uh, sort of introductory levels of meditation are about you know setting aside time where you go and you sit and you concentrate on your breathing or, or whatever the technique is that you're learning. But ultimately the point of meditation is that you bring that technique and it sort of diffuses into your entire life so when you're you know walking to the post office to see if you got any mail you notice all the bullshit in your head and you're like oh why don't i just like walk and smell the air and feel yeah. my body move and you know, feel the sun on my back and like it bring the point is to be here now, right? And I feel like creativity is kind of the same thing. It might start off as guitar lessons or music or writing poetry or something, but ultimately it diffuses into our, our lives in a way that we're creative about everything. We're cooking dinner in a different way, we're listening to different music, we're you know, organizing the, the driveway in a way we might not have thought of previously, you know, they're like, Oh, wait, I could, I could put that here. And you know why? So I I think my relationship with creativity is kind of um, pedestrian in that sense.
1: Yeah. I, I think I, I really resonate with that kind of like, kind of moving into the rest of life idea and I, I think it goes both ways like I I feel I've I've recently felt very kind of non-creative like my whole life I feel like I've been it's well, you know I'm I'm flawed and in many many ways but one of my like strengths is has has always been creativity and I, I remember I was um playing this game it's called like jackbox games or something and it's this thing where like you it was with a bunch of friends you you connect a tv in a way where you're each kind of controlling this game with your smartphone and it's showing something on the tv and the game is basically like a creativity challenge it's like think of try to think of funny words to finish this sentence or draw a shirt that you know will make your friends laugh and then they kind of vote on which shirt is best or whatever it's it's similar to how they measure creativity psychologically you know like a Mm. famous measurement way to measure creativity is like how quickly and and how in in a very short amount of time how quickly can you think of uses for a brick like you know you can use it to stop a door you can throw it at a friend or enemy you can you know (laughs) break a window with it whatever um And, and I noticed that I just felt not creative and it was like a foreign feeling, Mm. you know, and and just, I feel like, you know, the, uh, you know, I, I don't have that energy to kind of rearrange my room recently. Like, I just, I feel like sometimes in life I'll have that creative energy around me. And then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making things look different and, and just like, thinking new thoughts and i feel like recently for whatever reason maybe it's this job or something i've just felt like just just kind of vanilla you know just kind of <laughs> trashing yeah. vanilla and, but but not vanilla bean like synthetic right. grocery store <laughs> vanilla
0: just yeah. white yeah
1: right right and and uh, yeah i i do think it's it's like uh it's kind of an energy that that pervades everything that that right um, That can I, i'm just realizing for the first time it can it can go away like i feel like it's my whole life i felt like i got i got limitless creativity this is my superpower you know and now it's like no it it can it can leave you know it's, it's well alarming.
0: i mean speaking as the dirty old man here i i think we need to look at the way that create the ways that creativity and sexuality overlap and And I think there's an important lesson in that, which is, you know I think there are two there are two main ways that creativity can uh, sort of be diminished, right? One is uh, that there are things in our lives that are drowning it out, suffocating it, not not giving it the oxygen that it needs to flourish and the other is that because creative energy is organic it has its own ebb and flow and so i think you know this relates to sexuality i think you know every person and every relationship sort of goes through natural you know sometimes you're more sexual than others and I think a mistake that people make is when they're not feeling that sexual energy flowing, then they, they start to obsess on it. They feel inadequate. They feel there's something wrong, you know, and they, and like, well, you know, we should make a date night and we, you know, we need to, you know, or, you know, I need to get, like go secretly watch porn. And then, you know, like, <laughs> like you, they create all these kind of, you know, this, this, um, the superstructure of guilt and responsibility and shame, which is ultimately counterproductive, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. ends up putting all this weight on something that isn't designed to to carry weight. It's supposed to be yeah. and light and easy and spontaneous.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But of
0: course, the other way that you know sexual energy can be diminished is health problems, circulatory problems, you know, like there can be structural real problems. So looking at it, uh, creativity, you can say, well, okay, is this a case of just like, uh, I'm drained by this job that I don't really love. Um, Creativity is tied very much to self-respect and to um, free time and to getting enough sleep and uh, like other, you know, Mm -hmm. feeling healthy in other ways Uh, are there structural things in my life that I need to deal with or is it just a case of uh you know I'm dealing with other stuff now and and you know let that field be fallow for a season right Mm -hmm. just you know and I don't know exactly how to to distinguish other than by doing what you're doing, which is looking at your life and saying, is there stuff that needs to be rearranged for me to be happy and uh, have a good life? And if so, let me deal with that. But as long as you're doing that, I feel like the creative thing is let that be what it is. Like let that, because sometimes it needs to rest, right? Like sometimes Mm. because it is organic, right? Like, you know, writers, I haven't read a lot of books on writing, um, because I, I find that like too meta, you know, like, I don't know, I've, I've been proposed that I should write a book about writing. And it's just like, eh, if you want to write, just write, you know, or and when you can't yeah. write, read. And, but the books I have read, I read one by Stephen King that was quite good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um. Most of them will mention something about not getting hung up on when you sit down and nothing comes like, that's okay. That's part of the process, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of, so it's the same thing sexually, like, you know, guys who, you know, like whatever they they feel like their dick should be hard and it isn't. Well, the worst thing you can do is worry about it.
3: Right. Right. right, right, The
0: best thing exactly. you can do is be like, Well, that doesn't matter. Like, we can still make love. I can still tell you how beautiful you are. I can still enjoy your body. I, we can, you know, that's a minor issue
1: that that'll take care of itself unless I obsess about
0: it.
3: Right. right. And, and I feel like
1: obsessing r- about it is extremely unsexy. Like, it's extreme. <laughs> it's actually going exact opposite direction
0: exactly and and they're worried about what the woman's gonna think and what the woman's gonna think is if you aren't uptight about it she's gonna be like this is the most cool dude i've ever met like even that doesn't similarly
1: i I guess like if you don't obsess about about like I, i bet obsessing about making good art or like that you're not being creative or something is the least creative thing you can do that's taking you right down I would Be think so. Road, yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I, but I, I also, I mean, I would imagine a lot of those books, like the Stephen King book, and a lot of the books on creativity. I feel like say something like, "Don't obsess about producing something good, but like make a practice, make a discipline of sitting down to write, right." Ooh.
0: I would say they make I, I, almost the point you just made. What I would say is that they make a point of sitting down, mm-hmm. but, but not necessarily to write. See, mm-hmm. that's the thing. They The point is you show up and you're in the space where if something flows, you're there to catch it, right? right. You're at your desk. You've got your your notepad's out, you got your computer screen open, you're looking at what you did yesterday, you're in the space, right? Right. <clears throat> For me, writing is like, you know, I've, I've used this metaphor before, but it's like coal mining or something, or, or gold mining. I guess we can make it more glamorous. So it takes me time to get down, you know, take the elevators and the whatever down to the place where the work's being done right but i can't control whether i'm gonna find gold today i just go down and hammer and right. sometimes i come up and i didn't there's nothing there and other times i i come up and i've got buckets full of it but right. the point is i made that i went down i i got down there and i you know put in my time so that's how i feel it's like it, at least for me, right? If I'm like, I need to do a thousand words a day or or this was a wasted day, that puts a pressure on me that actually drains me of the creative juice. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I say, I'm going to sit at my desk every day from 10 to one. And if nothing's flowing, I'll edit what I've written before. I'll I'll do research on what's coming up next. You know, I'll... I'll be engaged in the process. And there's so much more to writing than just sitting there and letting the muse speak through you, right? Like at least the kind of writing I do, which is generally nonfiction. So there it's about processing information and organizing and all that. There's always something to do, even if you're, you know, the creative spark isn't present. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the key is, is creating, you know, the space in your life. It's like what someone said, I forget who it was, but there's some quote about a great teacher doesn't convey information. She creates a space where learning can take place.
3: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Right. So it's about creating a space where this thing can happen. Yeah. But it's yeah. not you don't force it to happen because you yeah. can't.
1: Interesting. Yeah. It's 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 there's a similar saying in, in therapy. You don't want to give a, a client uh, an explanation. You want to give them an experience. Right. Because it's, it's like that's that seems like it, it works to to give someone the necessary ingredients to have an experience.
0: Because ultimately but, it's organic. Right. You can't right. force a plant to grow, but you can. You can, you know, make sure the soil's good and there's enough water and sunlight and the, you know, temperature mm-hmm. ranges right, and then the plant either grows or it doesn't, but you can't force it, right? And right. and and giving, you know, an overwatering it isn't going to help, right? right? So, yeah, I think I think there's maybe that's why gardening is so popular among creative people.
1: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, maybe. Um, I guess to back up though, like why sit at the desk in the first place like why if it if it aside from it being your job which i guess it is for you but like why why create why make art you know especially for for you know i'd imagine i'm i'm similar to many listeners who it's it's not their their job you know and and i mean you know say what you will about you know this this Taylor guitar or your failed you know experiences with guitar playing, it it I mean you you, you know you've written best selling novels and you're you know prolific Substack writer you know and and you seem like you create a lot you seem like you have some sort of you know podcast stuff like it seems like you you produce a lot of creative of good creative work and like. I guess I wonder just at a base level, like almost at even like a, like, like philosophical level, uh, why, why create? How much of your life should you spend creating? But, you know, and, and how much should you kind of nudge yourself into the mind shaft so that you might create? Yeah,
0: well, I mean, just, A minor correction. I've never written a novel. I've written two non. Oh, oh, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah. I meant books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Um, and that's an important distinction because you know a novel is just creating a world out of your mind, and and that's a different kind of experience that I haven't had, and and it's one that I think about. I've I've got a a novel sort of percolating in the back of my head. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, okay, so why create i I think that's a huge question, and I don't have the answer to it um honestly be because I feel like there's in my life, there's a sort of underlying futility to any kind of creation because I've always had this sort of inescapable. Um, background hum of I'm just passing through. There's there's nothing, you know, and even if I create something that'll last longer than me, you know, like a book or build a stone castle or something, that only will last a little while. Everything's a, you know, a bursting bubble. And so that has been an issue for me in life where, you know, people have, encourage me to, to, to make something. And my underlying feeling is like, eh, what's the point, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, your legacy. I don't give a shit about my legacy. You know, like we're all forgotten. We're, we're all coming from. A, and one of my favorite lines about writing actually, which is related to this um, comes by way of Christopher Hitchens, who said, something about how we should always write posthumously. Mm. Um, And by that, I think he meant, you know, write as if you're invulnerable to any kind of response Mm because you're already dead. So who cares?
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Which also liberates you to be totally honest um, because, you know, you're invulnerable because you're dead. I kind of feel invulnerable because I will be dead. So it's, it's a (laughs) it's a closely related thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that a lot of creativity comes out of ego and that's never appealed to me, right? People who are creative because they want to be famous or because they feel some sense of inadequacy and they're trying to prove their dad was wrong or, you know, the so-and-so who didn't hire them or kick them out of the band when they were 15. Well, I'll show them, you know. I I feel like that generates a lot of creativity. Um, But the people who are really good, maybe that's what gets them into it initially and sort of propels them forward. But I feel like, like real art is created by people who get to a place where none of that matters anymore. And it's Mm. just they're in a zone and they have that amazing feeling of um, genius. And genius is interesting because we talk about how someone is a genius, but I think I'm right about this, that the word originally genius was something inhuman. Something that existed on another plane that could occasionally pass through a person or mm-hmm. or almost like a, a trance that a person could enter into. There were no geniuses. There was genius that was sometimes transmitted through someone. And I've had that experience a few times. I'm sure you've had it a bunch of times, you know, being on stage, your friend, or or just jamming, and there's just this moment where everything comes together in a way you're playing off each other you're you're almost reading each other's thoughts and 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 something greater than the sum of the four of you happens i think that's for me that's the real payoff with Mm -hmm. with any kind of creativity it's almost like a yeah, it's flow, right? I mean, it's described in lots of different ways. So I, I think that's the only legitimate reason to do it, uh, which is ultimately selfish. It's ultimately, I want to have that experience. I want to mm. feel that. Mm. Depending what you're doing, that could benefit other people. Right. If you're the Red Hot Chili Peppers and and you have that experience and there are 50,000 people who happen to be standing there listening to you, then you share that experience with them. And it's fucking awesome. But maybe you're just a guy, you know, building a fountain in your backyard uh, for some birds and that's it, you know, and there's never going to be any audience other than you and the birds. But if you're doing it because you're in that state of flow, then it doesn't the audience doesn't matter, right? That's like a that's a happy byproduct. Mm -hmm. I I think for me, that's the only real motivation is is that kind of magical, you know, you're down there in in the in the mine and you're hammering on rock and a piece breaks off and suddenly you see this flash of gold. And it's mm-hmm. like wow, I didn't know it was there. I just hammered this. I didn't hammer differently than I always hammer, but boom, it just happened. Yeah, that's that's otherworldly and fantastic.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And and when that happens, um, I mean that is just innately incredible. You know, when 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 you just get yeah the flow state, or you just have some beautiful moment of. Creation, like there's something inherently super rewarding about that but then uh, like how, I, I guess a, a part that that I'm stumbling on is so then do you go show people that nugget of gold that you found you know or to what degree do you you know try to take that and contain it and finish it and polish it up and monetize it it. monetize it yes yeah yeah
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's yeah it's funny like like you know when i was young joseph campbell was a big deal like when i was in my 20s early 30s and his whole thing was follow your bliss right right Right. And and that aligned well with something my father used to say to me when I was a kid, which was find something you love doing and make that your job, and then you'll never feel like you ever have to work, right? But but then I, I've also read people who say, like, that's the worst advice ever, because then you take something that you love and you turn it into work, right? So, okay, you really love, you know, making love, so you're going to be a porn star. Like, <sighs> You know, like, oh, you you know, you really like cooking, so you're gonna open a restaurant and like turn it into a bit you drain the joy out of it, right? Right. Um, so yeah, it's 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 an interesting uh I don't want to say conflict, but it's definitely attention. And and I feel like the you know, in, in the sort of information attention economy now, there's so much um energy going into monetizing, commodifying, finding an audience, growing your audience, this and that. Uh, I, I, I mean, I have to admit, like, you know, people have asked me like, well, if, if you didn't need the money, would you do a podcast? And I think the answer to that is yes, because the podcast has enriched my life and continues to enrich my life in non-monetary ways. Uh, It's brought beautiful people into my life. It's offered me opportunities I never would have had otherwise. So many people are like, dude, you're going to Montana just a couple days ago. I got an email from a friend like, hey, you're going to Montana this summer. I've got a friend She's a sculptor. She's, you know, he sends me her Instagram page, beautiful work, amazing, like landscape sculpture. And her husband's a helicopter pilot and they have a helicopter in the garage and they'll like go and they'll they'll take you out and fly you over Yellowstone. And and it's like, awesome. Awesome. You know, why? Because I have a podcast. That's the only reason, you know, so that kind of stuff happens all the time. And but but still um you know the there there is something selfish about it cuz even if it's not money it's opportunities it's connections it's this and that i don't know but but writing is writing's weird cuz i enjoy it but it's not something i do every day mm. um and it's I don't know if it's something that I would do if there weren't a monetary payoff.
1: Would Would you do it if there weren't an audience?
0: Well, that's what I mean. I, I don't, I I did for years. In fact, um, you know, I, I think I might've mentioned I found these journals that I kept, you know, mm-hmm. when I was in my twenties and thirties. And it's it's interesting reading them. And obviously I was doing that without an audience. But I wasn't doing it like three hours a day. You know, every morning I'm going to go into the mine and, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
0: write something. And in fact, a lot of my sort of intellectual life over the years has been resistance to that. To to that sort of like, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to, you know, be famous. I'm going to turn this into... A, a way to make a living. Uh, I had a teacher I when I was in college, I, I might come across this story might not. Uh, I don't know if this is going to sound right, but I had this teacher in university who was this awesome dude. He taught the history of science and he was brilliant. Just such an awesome dude. And, um, and I really, I love that class i and i mean he just he was funny and irreverent and surprising and just um a true intellectual but also like a wild wild guy just i love that guy uh anyway we came I, i participated in class all the time i read everything i was just super super engaged and uh The end of the class, we had a final and it was one of these blue book finals, you know, where you sit there for an hour and a half. And one of the questions I remember you you had to like answer, choose three of these five things to write about. And one of them was like, you know, trace the concept of time as understood from ancient Greece through Einstein, you know, like show that you've been paying attention. In other words, and. So I, I sat there, I started doing it and then I was like, fuck this. This is, this is fucking bullshit. Like this is a waste of my time to sit here and write this shit that this guy knows. I know, like I've, I've been, you know, engaging in class every fucking day. He and I hang out together outside of class. We used to play pool at this bar and talk about us. He knows I've read everything. He knows I understand. He knows like, this is an empty requirement that i shouldn't have to deal with so i instead i just wrote i wrote about this girl who was sitting in front of me and the way the light was striking her and the bricks on the wall next to her and i sort of imagined the guys who laid those bricks in the 1870s when this place was built and what they were thinking about and, you know, I just sort of like let, did a stream of consciousness kind of thing to pass the time because I couldn't just get up and leave. Right. <clears throat> so a week later, we had office hours and and each student would go to his office and he'd, you know, tell you what your grade was and talk about whatever. So I go in and, and he he gets up and he closes his door and he's like, Chris, you really put me in a spot here, man. I said, what do you mean? He said, come on, dude, like, what are you doing to me? Like, you know, I know, because I'd written at the, at the beginning, like, look, this is an empty gesture, you know, and I know, and you know, what the fuck. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you're right. Of course, you're right. But there are other students who went through the trouble to do that, to to answer the questions. And I can't give you the same grade I give them, right? Like, um." But he said, he said, so I gave you an A. I gave the, I gave those guys A pluses. I give you an A, okay, or an A minus, or whatever it was. But he said, if you ever need uh, a recommendation for graduate school, you come to me. I'm your guy. And and he said, he he said, here's the thing, man. My whole life, I've wanted to be a writer. I never really wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to write. I wanted to be the next Hemingway or the next, you know, T.S. Eliot or whatever it was. He said, but my problem is I don't have a voice. i never found my voice. And he said, you have a voice. You have a fucking voice, man. I could have picked up a page from this book flying around in the wind and read a paragraph and I would have known it was you. Hmm. He's like, people spend a lifetime looking for that and they never find it. And you, you just fucking have it. And he starts crying at this point. There's like tears running down his eyes. And he's like, dude, you need to write. You need to be a fucking writer. You have this skill. And and it was like, he was putting this lifetime of frustration and failure Mm -hmm. in his eyes and, and passion. He was kind of like telling me to carry it you know? Mm-hmm. And I felt so touched and honored, but I also felt like, dude, don't, don't dump that stuff on me. You know, like, and I felt my dad did that too. It's like, oh, you need to be a writer. Cause I always wanted to be a writer and you have the talent and you, so I've always had this very like Hey, just because I'm tall doesn't mean I'm gonna play basketball, kind of, you know, uh feeling about talent. And and writing's probably the only talent I've I really have in in any sense. Um so it's it's a I have a complicated relationship with it, and I have uh been vigilant my whole life to be very careful about not letting ego and talent or, or creativity um, mix. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like that is such an explosive addictive mixture that um, I've just always felt like it's a big danger for me. Like I mm-hmm. need to make sure. And so it was interesting, you know, I didn't write sex at dawn till I was 40 and I feel like, Uh, Maybe the reason that felt possible at that point was that my ego was so well formed by then that I didn't really feel like it was going to be a problem one way or the other, if it was a failure or a success or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. Like, uh, I guess my ego had grown enough that it wasn't dependent on that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know I, I don't think I was answering a question there. But...
1: No, no, no. I mean I like like I, I feel like my takeaway there is like like you should definitely not create for your your ego for like to be good enough or something to be yeah. um yeah like like yeah to, to be enough I but i like i'm i'm you know still still working my way through that that rick rubin book and i mean he talks about like the courageous act of sharing your work too mm. you know and and i think it seems like there's some balance to be struck between like getting out of your way not forcing yourself to you know live like you know to to pursue your talent because you have a voice or something like get out of your way and let yourself create but also like i don't know like share it or something like like yeah finish it finish it and put it out there or something yeah and that part i don't do well like that part is like I just explore and poke around and have fun and then put my guitar away. But when I do finish and put it out there, I, I that kind of happened organically through this this band. And I cherish our albums and I and I just cherished those memories and and like there was a lot good to that. Fuck yeah. Know.
0: But I I mean, I I do think there's a balance and and, uh, two things came to me while you're talking. One is this great line from William Butler Yeats, the Irish poet, who said, a poem is never finished, merely abandoned. Mm. So the idea of finishing a work of art, I think, is interesting because I think the artist never feels it's finished. They just feel like, okay, it's time to move on. You know, like this is as good as I can get it. It's not perfect, but it's as good as I can get it at this point in my life. So let's move on. Um, and I think we you know I, I, I do think ego is an important prism through which to view our creative process because I, I I feel it's like um you know, it's like a rocket ship takes off and it's got those those big engines mm-hmm. that get it up, you know, like boosters. Yeah. What, well, and then it drops those engines yeah, 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 and then it's got the boosters, right? Because now it's escape. It's, it's reached escape velocity. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe ego is like those first engines that'll get you off the launch pad through mm-hmm. the shitty, uh, you know, boring music theory or guitar lessons or, you know, whatever it is but then you got to drop those engines because if you try to go into orbit with those engines, then they'll just pull you down. Right. So I, I feel like it, maybe ego gets you up there, but then you got to let go of ego in order to be free to really maneuver in the stratosphere. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I, I love this metaphor. Is this, so are you thinking of this in a lifetime or in a, you know, in a day, like, are you going to, you know, sit at that desk, like with a little bit of ego motivation, you know, and a little bit of like, this is going to do great. This is going to get great reception by my amazing audience. And like, whatever. And then, <laughs> then you, then you no. kind of, then you drop it. Or that's, that's just to but, learn how to write. Yeah.
0: For, for me, it's more of a life, a lifetime thing, right? Like it, when you're young, that'll motivate you to hone your skill, but then yeah. you need to reach a stage where you don't, you're not, thinking about reception you can't you're not thinking about how the audience is going to receive this because if you're thinking about that if you're actually writing for your audience you're kind of a hack right like the really and i shouldn't have used the word hack that you know you're you're the guy who plays you're a lounge singer you're you know you're uh you're a professional and and you're creating you're doing something beautiful but it's you know it's covers. And right. it's right. You're you're not you're not birthing something totally new into the world, right? Um, and there's no shame in that. That's that's awesome. I mean, there are a lot of people, you know, journalists, or um, you know, even my own writing is not like I don't consider myself an artist. I I'm a teacher. I think is is the way I look at it, right? Like I try to convey information that I think is important and that people aren't finding elsewhere that will help them in their lives and do it in a way that's entertaining and surprising Mm -hmm. and keeps them on their toes. And, you know, I try to be like Dr. Kelly, that teacher, right? I want to be, as as a writing voice, I want to be that professor who makes you want to go to class because you're going to laugh and you're going to learn something and you're going to, you know, that's what I'm going for. So I don't consider myself any great artist, but um, yeah. And also there's a difference between performative art, right? Like I was listening to an interview with Mick Jagger yesterday and they said to him, the question was like, what do you do to prepare for a performance? Do you have a ritual? Do you have this or that? And he's like, oh, you know, I do a little voice exercise and, uh, you know, got to pump up the ego. And and she said, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, you know, you go on stage in front of fifty thousand people. You've got to, your ego needs to be fully inflated, you know. But then the trick is when you leave stage, deflate it. You you, you don't go through life with that. You, that's an on stage thing, you know." Yeah, yeah. Or Bruce Springsteen. The, did you ever see his? Uh, was it the the Broadway thing? Um,
1: yeah, I saw like a video. I think of I didn't ne- see it on Netflix. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if it was on that or or somewhere else, but it was an interview. With, but someone said that he was talking about his depression, like he he went through serious depression. And the interviewer said, "Like, but you're on stage, and there are fifty thousand people who who want to be you. Like, do you realize that?" And he's like, "Or, or he said there are fifty thousand people who want to be." bruce springsteen right Uh and he's Uh like yeah well you know me too i'd love to be that guy yeah yeah you know that they see on stage but that's not me so yeah i mean performative stuff is different but um yeah i feel like to really to really be uh in that zone you know that flow state we were talking about you you can't be writing for an audience you can't be thinking oh they're gonna love this or yeah you know i'm
1: gonna provoke So i mean them. when you're when you're writing you know <clears throat> you're thinking about teaching almost or, or like you're you're in that i don't know if you're thinking about it but that that's almost like a frame or something of your mind like how how do you think of your audience or how do you visualize who might be reading your work or are you writing to yourself or like how how do you think about that well as far as writing
0: style goes my dad at some point told me he said you should write um as if you're sitting at a bar talking to a smart friend hmm. So entertain, convey information, respect his intelligence. Like that's, mm. you know, that's where you want to be coming from. And and mm. I agree with that. I think, so I don't envision any, you know, some people say, Oh, I always think of my friend Roger when I'm writing, like, I don't have any like ideal reader or something like that. I just kind of, I want it to be, you know, serious in the sense that, you know, we're talking about something serious, that it matters, mm-hmm. um, but also playful and amusing and respectful. I Maybe this is like the core thing. Like, I feel like if you are asking someone to pay attention to you, you need to give them something important. Yeah. Yeah. Because people don't have they have a limited amount of attention and a million different people and institutions are are demanding it and asking for it and so if you want them to give some to you you need to be offering something truly valuable yeah and and I guess on the podcast i've been thinking about this the last couple of days because I, I don't know if you've heard these, but I did a couple of romas recently that get the, the people are riled up, and some people are like very disappointed in me, and,
3: and yeah, yeah.
0: I, I think yeah. they've misunderstood what I was trying to say. But you know, whatever. Um, and so I've, you know, it, it hasn't been a love fest uh, the last uh, week. <laughs> uh, or yeah, so. I can
1: imagine. Yeah.
0: And so I've been thinking about that, and one guy wrote to me this morning, and he said it was something like, like he said. I've been listening to you for a long time. I don't always agree with you. I, um, you know, and and I'm sorry for what you're going through right now, because I know a lot of people are giving you a bunch of shit. He said, but the reason I tune into the podcast is not because I agree with you. It's because I think you're honest and you're you're being authentic. And you've shown me a different way to live that I never would have come across otherwise. That's why I listen. It has nothing yeah. to do with agreement. And I, I wrote back to him and I said, "You're right. I'm not trying to be right. I'm just trying to be authentic. I'm just trying to be yeah. honest, right?" Yeah. And so, I feel like that's what I'm giving a value. It's almost like a like a self sacrifice or or something like I'm trying to embody the lack of bullshit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You are you are the exact opposite of performative like whatever which is itself a performance right it, yeah i kinda. mean it, like yeah, yeah, I see how it can you can then become a cover band of that <laughs> thing you know of being non-performative but but yeah yeah it, yeah it's weird like
0: uh i was years ago the first guy that i worked with this producer who wanted to pitch a tv show uh, around me you know i was going to be the anthony bourdain of sex right and we were going to do this and so we had this series of meetings where we were putting together a a, a pitch i forget what it's called a pitch package or Islet? a deck a deck oh. yeah w- which was for a, se- a tv series anyway the first meeting he says, and this guy, he's, he's done documentaries and TV shows, and you know, he's a pro, right? And he's like, okay, first thing we need to work out is, who are you going to be on camera? And, and I said, uh, what do you mean? He says, well, what's your what's your on-camera persona going to be? Yeah. And I said, well, I don't want to have a persona. I just want to be authentic. And he said, oh, okay, so you're going to be the authentic guy. With air quotes, right? It's like, no, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the air quote authentic guy. I want to be authentic. And he's like, no, Chris, you don't understand, dude. You're, you're going to be, you know, if this works, you're going to be on TV for an hour a week for 10 weeks and you need to be the same every time you can't be like in a bad mood one week and funny the next week. And scholarly, the third week, you. this is fast food. This is McDonald's. It's got to be the same burger wherever you are. It's got to be consistent. So you need, you're going to play a part. Even if the part is authentic Chris, you're going to play the part because it has to be the same every time. Uh-huh. So it, it's weird. I, I mean, I don't feel that way on the podcast, but it that's, it really made the point to me that if you're performing, you're performing, even if what you're performing is the absence of performance.
1: Right, right. Like I think of Anthony Bourdain, who I love, but you know he he was consistent. He was consistent. He wasn't like one day just like I'm miserable. You know, I I don't want to be here right now. I I got zero sleep on the flight over, and I mean, but all I I view him as authentic, but I, I see how you kind of have to suck it up or something.
0: Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I, I mean, I wonder if that's what dragged him under was, (laughs) you know, that he became a victim of being Anthony Bourdain in air quotes. And there was no room in that for the despair and weakness that he felt
1: yeah maybe you know and so he he lost control of it yeah that was really wild when when he died it was like i i just thought of him as the person with the best job in the world you know and for that person to to take their own life i mean that is how I, i feel like i'm still wrapping my head around it yeah
0: Yeah, but i think the reason we think it was the best job in the world is that we think he didn't need to perform right in fact he was performing
1: yeah you know yeah
0: yeah 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 it's a strange thing i mean i've you know as i said earlier a lot of people have come into my life through the podcast probably you know more than half of my closest friends and there is this conversation that happens sometimes where they'll you know we'll all be hanging out and they'll talk about uh their relationship with chris you know in air quotes before they knew me versus the relationship that we actually have now that we're sitting in a room together and pretty universally what they say is like what you get on the podcast is him but there are parts of him that you don't get on the podcast.
3: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Anya, like every once in a while I'll do something and Anya will, will just laugh and she'll say like, that's something I I never would have known from the podcast, right.
1: you know? Right. Like, yeah. I guess yeah, it's- you mentioned in the first step, in the first mentorship thing, you mentioned like some strange noises that, that you would make or something. and <laughs> And since then it's been my goal to try to, Try to elicit those strange noises. <laughs> like, <laughs> so just like Bad, a, bad like, accents.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I do though, like if I look at you speaking with like, you know, people that are that I would find incredibly intimidating to to speak with, you know, you mentioned Dennis McKenna. It's just like, that's an intimidating guy to to talk to. He's just a brilliant, you know, guy. Not not intimidating in a in a bad way, just in in his in his brilliance, you know. But and and I I feel like you have this ability, you know, and you know you or you're or you're talking to Joe Rogan, and there's it's just a humongous platform. You you seem to be able to just stay non performative, and maybe that's maybe like like kind of stay authentic or something. And and I guess there is a little performance to that. Of course, there's something in the back of your mind where you know that you're there's a microphone in front of you and and maybe the answer to this relates to this kind of small dense ego or something but i i really i think that's the thing after kind of i, I you know being a long-time listener and then getting to speak with you a, a few times in this mentorship role i, I feel like that's one of the big learnings for me is just like you there's a certain way you approach a conversation that is just you're not you don't seem to be trying to decode what I want you to say or be or something you're just being who you are and kind of leaning back and and there's a certain just non-performative nature to that 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 I, I, I i've I've been trying to kind of channel since Mm. since getting to meet you that i'm i'm like the exact opposite like i I feel like i've i've been really chasing like how can i learn the most about psychology to figure out how to be the best chameleon i can be in any situation and figure out exactly my best hypothesis for what people want me to be or something and and then perform and and be that and it's I, i think i think that yeah just a a better way a a more engaging way actually is just to be yourself it's like you know the advice i'd give somebody on a first date is just like as hard you know don't 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 try to be what the other the other person wants you to be try to just right be real
0: yeah and also like what you know you have to think long term right like if you're being what the other person wants you to be and the date goes really well and then you fall in love and you spend your whole fucking life together you're going to your whole life, you're going to be that creation, you know, like that's exhausting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've probably talked about this. Maybe you and I have talked about this, but very, so I'll keep it very brief, but you know, a big moment in my life was this moment when I came to this realization that I, I don't feel like it's in my nature to be sexually monogamous. And like, you know, I was 30 or something or 29 or something, and it's like, well, okay, that means no woman's ever going to want to be with me again, or right. I need to lie. So, you know, what am I going to do? And luckily, I I decided to, you know, come clean, as it were. And, you know, to my great surprise, what I found was that a lot of women cared more about candor than they did whatever the content of the candor was so yeah. that just your authenticity was so comforting that everything else was secondary
3: mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. because what they were really looking for was someone with whom they could be honest, right? So the fact that I was willing to be like, look, I'm really sorry. This probably means that you'll never want to like spend time with me, but this is who I am. Not only created a space where they're like, wow, this guy's honest with me. So that means if he tells me I'm beautiful, he really does think I'm beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if he says he thinks that I'm intelligent. He really does think I'm intelligent. He's not just trying to fuck me, you know, which yeah. women are constantly dealing with that. Right. Like what are yeah. the, what's his real intention uh, yeah. in saying these things? Um, and also it opened up a space where she could be honest, right? Because if you're demanding someone else deal with your authenticity, then you better be in a place where you're going to deal with their authenticity. Right. Yeah. So it opened up all these incredible rich relationships with women who are like, I've never told anyone this before, but here's my fantasy, and here's what I really think, and here's what I'm really into. And, you know, she's telling me because I've told her. And,
1: yeah. like, so I feel and, like and I
3: would say, go ahead.
1: I would say that's also in. In your art, you know, or in your kind of teaching, so to speak, your your writing, it, it's it seems like the thing that resonates most, at least with me as a reader and listener, is just the honesty and and the authenticity. It's just like, you know, he's just saying how he really feels about a- Andrew Tate. Is that the guy's name? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I don't even, right. I don't even know that. I don't know anything about that. Uh, guy. I had never, I had heard of his name, but I, I still have never seen right. this person. I don't think, but yeah. I, it's still just to, re, to hear you be honest and vulnerable and authentic. There's something just that, like, I, I, I that is the art, you know, that is right. the, the resonance and that, and, and same within, yeah, I, I see how it, in romantic relationships it just it just is like that's the actual like root system that is attractive to people it doesn't really matter what plant is growing at the current moment right exactly yeah
0: yeah and and i feel like i mean i know psychotherapy is a lot there's a there's a lot there are techniques There are all sorts of things you need to learn and, and go through yourself but i feel like if i were ever in a psychotherapeutic context where someone was coming to me for guidance or whatever like you know even even these these conversations with you i i i feel totally unqualified uh in terms of content right like i don't mm-hmm. know what to tell people about, you know, what career to choose or to stay with the woman or find another woman or, you know, if they're straight or gay or bi or and the like. All the content, I don't know. I, I'm as lost as anyone else, but I feel like, I feel like ultimately, the 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 only value I can impart is is to sort of demonstrate. Uh, vulnerability and authenticity and and assure the person that that pays off you Mm -hmm. know It, Mm it it pays off not only in terms of how other people respond to you and opportunities that come to you and all that but it pays off just because it's an easier way to live it's yeah yeah you know if you're not lying it frees up your mind for so much other yeah. other endeavors because you don't need to keep track of
1: all your bullshit, you know? Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what sticks. I mean, like when I like like there's there's this famous uh you know just kind of clinician Irv Yalom. He's like the he's like the you know just super super famous psychotherapist. Yeah, I've read his stuff. Yeah, yeah. Great writer. Um and and you know what, one of the things he he noted he's he saw a, a client for a while and got that client to that it was like a pro bono, the client couldn't afford to 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 pay him for his his therapy. And so he got the client, the client was a writer, and, and he got the client to just write what was most influential about each session and send it to him instead of paying him. And it was the main takeaway from this was just the thing that he thought was so brilliant, his intervention that was so great was completely different than what the client took from from the actual session. And so it's just not, it, it really is so much more process than content. And and even in these, you know, kind of mentorship conversations, like I was talking with my girlfriend last night about, you know, what what has been most useful or kind of what, what stuck with you about this process of of getting to you know 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 Chris. And yeah, you know, there's so many process things. Like one of the things I, I, I was talking about was just I really it's really cool to see your relationship with like taking up space in these conversations. Like, I'm just kind of a shy guy by by nature and very much a, a listener, you know, I'm a, a therapist and just was shy a lot as a kid and like, and just like the experience, what it's like to be in a conversation with you when you're taking up space, it's like, that's, that's more instructive than like, you know, what is the exact calculus of whether I should quit my job or not? Right. You know, it's it's a lot more of kind of a of a of a process, and and I really is a bit of a tangent, but I, I really do hope you 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 know consider kind of continuing this mentorship kind of thing. I mean, it's really been such a powerfully positive um, experience for for me, and I I, I I'd be so interested to, to see how other listeners kind of going kind to of relate to bouncing ideas off you or just kind of having you as a as a sounding board it's it's been really uh yeah it's 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 really just just clarified a lot for me and has hmm. been an amazing experience and um, wow,
0: that makes me feel good i'm really glad um, yeah, I, I I think I'll continue doing it occasionally. But again, it's like I said, it's like, uh, you know, as long as I don't feel any sort of ego inflation happening, right? That's that's uh, the yeah, thing.
3: Yeah, like
0: yeah. I, I'm not, you know, like oh, you know, sign up for mentorship series with Dr. Ryan, like that feels right,
1: weird right. and kind of you know silly to me yeah and 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 that is a thing that you keep your eye out for in in making art i guess that that makes sense it's like yeah yeah okay okay, can I ask one more? Oh, go okay. um i I,
0: you go. I all right i was just gonna i was just gonna tell a story i probably shouldn't tell uh oh, which, which are the best stories yeah, um yeah. but don't forget your question okay because okay know, okay i got yeah. it got it. um but it relates to what you're saying about Irving Yalom Ye- in a strange way uh, about how how the the takeaway was so different than what he thought it was. Yeah. So I had an experience years ago. Um, so uh, I was seeing a woman and she. um you know, shared how she had this fantasy of being with two guys. She'd never been with two guys. And and it was like something she thought about. And I had a buddy at the time who also knew her and I talked with him and I was like, dude, should we, uh, you know, make her dreams come true. Right. And he was like, hell yeah, let's do it. So we ended up spending a whole weekend with her and, you know, it was great. It was awesome. It was, you know, we, 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 uh, covered all the bases and made sure that whatever her unfulfilled fantasies were, were fulfilled. And she's a writer. And um, so afterwards uh, she and I were talking and she, and, and and she was like, Oh, you know, how could I, I like, I want to, I want to do something to thank you for that. And she was experiencing writer's block. And so I said, okay, here's what you can do. I want you to write. Five pages about that experience. The best parts, the parts that didn't seem as exciting in real life as you thought they would be, the times when you felt awkward, the times when you were surprisingly unawkward, whatever. I want you to just describe the experience from your perspective uh, to me. And I, I thought this might help her break through her writer's block. So she did, and I gave her a deadline and the whole thing. So she sends me the, the piece. And um, at one point in the weekend, uh, we were going to brunch and her battery was dead. And so we jump-started her car, right, to, to get the, the car going. Anyway, in her piece where she said, she said, the the thing that I'll, that I, sort of struck me the most that felt the most intimate and amazing and that I'll never forget. And, you know, really touched me was that morning when we were going to brunch and the car wouldn't start and you guys told me to just, you know, put the clutch in and you were pushing the car down the road. And I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw the two of you laughing and pushing And then you told me to let the clutch out and the car started. And she said, I just felt so loved and so protected and so connected with you guys in that moment. And that's that was what touched my heart the deepest, right? Never in a million years would I have thought that that was (laughs) the the takeaway from your three-way weekend with two dudes. Like, it wasn't about sex at all right yeah but of course it makes sense from her perspective because she's a woman she's thinking differently she's feeling for her it was about that he and i are buddies and we love each other and we love her and you know it was that it was yeah um yeah and that really i mean that touched me partly because i was so off Right. I was so, if yeah. if I, if I had to guess, you know, like I said, I never would have guessed that. Um, but also I learned so much just in reading that it was like, Oh my God, of course. Like, you know, I think, I think dudes we think about sex and it's more like it's, it's visual, right. It's more, and it's, it's more like, Oh, I get to have that experience. Now check that off the list. Yeah. Whereas for her, it was all just like, Oh, I get to be, immersed in this beautiful feeling and and kindness and it is just really anyway yeah. i don't know why it's, uh,
1: it's insane how much we how wrong we are about what we think other people are are thinking which is
0: saying. okay that's why I, I told the story because you were talking about this feeling of like i want to tell you what i think you want to hear we have no idea yeah right? that's that's the that's the fallacy right that we think we can anticipate how something's going to land for someone else where especially if it's a woman right or vice versa right we have no clue how they're experiencing things so really it's a fool's errand to try to shape their experience the only thing we can do is is you know clean the mirror of the self so that whatever they see is as clear as possible, but we mm-hmm. can't control what they see.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, it, like to clean. What What do you mean by to clean the mirror of the self? That like I guess to just show as purely as we can who we really are.
0: Right, and to allow them to be who they really are. So to cleanse ourselves of our demands and our expectations and our mm. disappointments and ego, right? Like to, to to extract ego from the situation so that she can have her experience as it is and yeah. share that. Without worrying that it's going to, you know, like she could have, maybe when she was writing that, if things had been a little different, she could have thought, oh, yeah, that moment with brunch. But uh, he doesn't want to hear that. Right. He wants to hear a sex thing. He wants to hear a sort of pornified thing. So I'll I'll tell him some other thing about this and that. Right. Like, and that would have robbed me of this experience that actually enriched my life so much that I'm still thinking about it all these years later. Right. Yeah. So it's about. You know, and I I feel like men make this mistake with women all the time where they go into it trying to impress her thinking, you know what it is that impresses her where you don't. Yeah. And the thing that would impress her the most actually is if you fucking stop trying to impress her. Yeah. You know, because she's yeah. surrounded by dudes who are trying to impress her all the time. So if there's yeah. a dude who's like, hey, this is who I am. I'm not trying to impress anybody. That's going to blow her mind, you know, un- unless he's yeah. faking it. Unless <laughs> unless that's another technique, you know. Right. Um, but uh, I, I just feel like, yeah, cleansing the mirror of the self is, for me, it's about like, get my own shit straight. and not apologize not make excuses not try to shape anyone else's experience yeah and and let things happen the way they happen including if that results in rejection right right like i need to be big enough to just be like okay that's fine you th- you that, think go ahead
1: is that is that something that that um willingness to to cleanse the mirror and and to kind of be yourself and to be okay with rejection to just put yourself out there has that been something that has developed over time in your life like has that has that have you always been just like willing to do that or have you you know when you were my age were you more performative and and kind of you know like, have you, have you had to kind of push, push through that, you know, and and even now, I mean, do you continue to, like, as you're, you know, looking at that Roma, just deciding whether or not to release it, you know, do do you have to battle like a voice that's like, be yourself versus a voice that's like, but they're going to hate you, you know?
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's, I I guess there's still definitely that internal dialogue, but uh, at this point, I feel, I feel like it's um like it's a muscle that maybe you know when you start using it it's weak and it gets tired quickly and then the more you use it the stronger it gets and and then you yeah. kind of stop thinking about it
3: yeah
0: um you know like I used to think about typing i used to like think about typing i used to make a lot of mistakes and da, da, da. and then after a certain time like you just get I just type and I don't even think about it anymore. So it's kind of like that. Um, You know, when I was young, I lied a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when I was a teenager, Mm -hmm. uh, I moved a lot as a kid. And so I was constantly reintroducing myself. uh, And I was um, afraid and lonely and... Um, I dealt with that by sort of um, enhancing, you know, my origin story uh, in ways that I thought made me more attractive or interesting or whatever. Um, And I guess, you know, around the time I was in college and I was taking psychedelics and I went to Alaska, that was a turning point where I sort of saw myself and saw that all this bullshit that I was engaging in, you know, whatever lies I was still telling or um, like my sort of pedantry, you know, around being an intellectual and, you know, carrying all these books around. And I mean, I remember when I was in prison in Fairbanks and I'm like having lunch with these guys in the prison and I'm telling them how I'm going to go to Oxford. And I, you know, I'm friends with this professor and and these weren't lies. This was actually what I was planning to do, but I, but I was struck by the fact that these guys listened to me and were, were like, generous to me they were like cool dude wow you're you're gonna go to oxford and that's in england wow and yeah and you're like you're really into poetry well cool man whatever yeah and and it was it was an experience and i don't know if this is an age thing like everyone has this experience when they're 1920 or whatever or if it was just that i was so far out of my normal context but I had this kind of like almost out of body experience where i I could see myself and what a arrogant little shithead I was and how these guys were like not kicking my ass for being an arrogant little shithead in prison, you know, like what the fuck do you think you're doing talking to these guys about w h Auden like really yeah, yeah. you know. You know, it's like, oh, hey, have you guys heard of Irv Yalom? Let me tell you about Irv. Like, what are you doing, dude? And I I just saw how all that stuff was an expression of my weakness and insecurity and fear. And once I saw that, then then it became like a life goal to to cleanse myself of that shit and stop coming from a place of weakness and fear and insecurity right and deal with the problem at its root and and just like stop it stop the bullshit
1: yeah yeah it's so simple it seems like it's like the the solution is just to like do less it's just like stop
0: shut the fuck up in
1: shut my case my shut the
0: fuck up yeah yeah case, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, but it is, yeah it, like i feel like in my case it's like get your mind to shut the fuck up and and that might allow you to speak up more right <laughs>
0: right yeah yeah and just like because the thing is you know fear uh insecurity these things are at base kind of driven or expressions of narcissism right because they're they're manifestations of the idea that i really fucking matter
3: Mm -hmm. and
0: therefore my fears are really important and Mm -hmm. i should you know organize my life around my fears because i'm so important like what if i die oh my god what if i get hurt oh my god what if my career doesn't work out oh my god what if i don't
1: find love like ultimately, yeah. this is all like, I'm super important, don't you? I'm see? So important, and I know what they're thinking, right too, like right. I'm so important and and brilliant that I know what they're <laughs> thinking, and it matters that yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, so there so I think the humility is not fake humility, real humility, you know, and this circles back to the very beginning of the conversation, right? where it's kind of hard for me to take creativity seriously in terms of. You know, it's going to change the world or it's going to, you know, impact history or some shit like that. Um, I feel an incredible liberation in the knowledge that I don't fucking matter.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think, you know, that is I was reading. So I, I, I was hanging out with a friend who I met the day I got out of that prison in Fairbanks, John. John Stevens is his name. He came to visit recently. And just a couple of days ago, he scanned and sent me some letters that I had sent to him uh back in the day, you know, like when I was in college. So this is like 83 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really interesting reading this stuff. And remembering what I was doing at that time. And I I said to John, it's like, it's really weird because, like, I know that was me. And I remember where I was when I wrote that. And I remember, like, I mentioned that I was going to go to Montreal. And I, I remember who I was going to visit in Montreal. And I remember all this stuff. But it feels like I was in a trance like it was me but it was like i wasn't thinking straight i was I, I i like my motivations and are are sort of mysterious to me from this perspective and and i feel i've been having this feeling a lot recently that like it's almost like being young you're you're intoxicated by something And as you get older, the intoxication gradually wears off. Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like the older I get, the less intoxicated I am. Mm. And the more obvious it is how intoxicated I was when I was younger. Yeah. And and I see the
1: intoxication of other people, younger people. I see. Are you, is it clear what the intoxication is? I mean, at least for you, like, I'm like, because I might still be intoxicated. <laughs> I probably am. Well, like, we all
0: like, are to some extent. But I think that's yeah. what it is. The intoxication is is all the bullshit we're carrying around. Yeah, it's all the projection and the expectation and the fear of what's going to happen and the denial of the fact that we're afraid about what's going to happen. So the the fake, you know, the bravado and the,
3: mm-hmm. the macho
0: posturing and the the like the all the fears of things that never as you get older you realize that's not going to happen like i haven't been in a fist fight since i was in sixth grade but how Mm -hmm. much time have i spent fantasizing about you know, this guy's going to attack me and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I've good thing I'm wearing my knife or, you know, I used to yeah, fucking yeah. carry a knife when I lived in New York and, and, and other places like, uh, you know, I've got a weapon like why I don't need a fucking weapon. I used to yeah. I mean, I grew up in a time when the big danger on TV was quicksand. Everybody was always getting fucking caught in quicksand. I've never fucking seen quicksand, right? But how many hours have have I spent in my head remembering that like, oh, if you're caught in quicksand, you got to lie flat on the top and find a branch. And like,
1: I thought quicksand was going to be a huge issue. I (laughs) I thought that was going to be a big, big deal in my life. So,
0: And I think that's, I mean, that's a metaphor for life in general, I think we're inculcated with all these fears of things that never fucking happen. They're not really something to worry about, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like we're intoxicated on the illusion that we can control any of it or something. Like we're drunk on the, on the delusion of control that I can, you know, protect myself with this little pocket knife or like, I can figure out what other people's expectations are and then figure out exactly how to like, hide my imposterness and whatever blah 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 it's just it seems like it's it's all like I don't know I I I just feel like it's this illusion of like if you think about this thing you can figure it out and control it when really it's just like no you're just you're just riding on a on a horse and that horse is going to do whatever it wants and just enjoy the ride or something
0: yeah, and the, there's that not Navajo expression, it's easiest to ride a horse in the direction it's going. Mm. Mm. Right? Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I think, you know, the theme of this conversation, I think a lot of it, from my perspective, is letting go. Right? Yeah. You're, you're letting go of demands, you're letting go of expectations, you're letting go of your your ego, You know, we started off talking about, you know, my conversation with the guy from Taylor, right? Like I've let go of the idea that I'm ever going to be any kind of important, you know, significant musical artist, which actually allows me, I hope, to just enjoy the process of fucking around and, and Mm -hmm. learning. And, you know, I, I told him about this conversation Daniel Lanois had with Rick Beato and, there's this moment where Lenoir says, maybe I've said this to you, um, you know, that people come to him for advice all the time, right? Should I go to Juilliard? Should I go to Berkeley? Should I do that? And he's like, oh, just, just play me three notes that you love, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And like, if the, if the student knows what he's talking about, then there's something to talk about. If the student's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Let me play you, you know, Chopin's, you know, Prelude number 7 like no, it's about like let go of all that. Do you mm-hmm. love this? Do you do you get excited by this? Does this, you know, feel as if you're touching something sacred? Because if mm-hmm. it doesn't, fuck it, right? And so that's the thing like for me the only thing that's truly Um, rewarding is if I feel like somehow there's something sacred here, Mm. right? Mm. Uh, Whether it's a state of flow or it's just being in a state of um, just as honest as I can possibly be.
1: Yeah, like there's a there seems like there's a way to be to hold your honest true self as sacred and worth sharing without getting egoic about it.
0: Right. it's like without it's like making cookies. You're going to a uh, you know, uh what what are those, what's it called a dinner where everyone brings their brings something? Potluck. A potluck. Yeah. So you're going to a potluck dinner and you make these cookies you really like these cookies. You've, you, you love making them and you bring them to the dinner and you put them on the table, but you don't stand there and watch who takes the cookies and who doesn't and mm-hmm. try to overhear. If they say, Oh, those cookies are really good. Or I don't know about these cookies. Like you got to let go. Like you make yeah. it, you bring it, you offer it. And then, and then let go. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I I feel like that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast. That's what I've tried to do with the books. And and that's been a learning process for me of how, you know, people get really freaked out about sex at dawn sometimes. And I need to be like, that has nothing to do with me. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's between you and a book I wrote 15 years ago. That's not, uh, my, my ego is not touched by whether you think it's the most brilliant thing you've ever read or you think it's the most biggest piece of shit you've ever come across either way it's the same to me
1: yeah yeah i love the the potluck metaphor like i feel like what i'm what it has me thinking is like i with my music you know for example i feel like i need to i i want to go to the potluck i love potlucks So I I need to buy the ingredients and you know get myself to sit down and you know just preheat the oven or whatever. And 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 make the, you know, set set about the conditions to where you know good cookies can potentially come out of this. And then if I feel like I made good cookies to actually be bold enough to bring them and put them, put that, you know, plate of cookies out, and but then. Then go socialize and have fun and live life, not yeah. not get occupied on like am I I'm only good enough if people eat my cookies or something. Right. Exactly. But like I do think I need a I need a I I need to kind of push myself to a little bit to go down into the mine shaft or whatever. I'm I'm blending all the metaphors at this point, but to to actually cook the damn cookies and bring them to the damn potluck. Like I I, I do want that deep down, you know, and, yeah. and 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 so that takes a little concerted maybe even you know kind of disciplined effort to to actually you know create something and and kind of finish or abandon it um and 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 offer it and offer it yeah yeah but
0: But that but that's your discipline i think that's your discipline is is the no strings attached offering
1: yeah 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 that's the end goal is to make something that you can offer that maybe you even think tastes good like you think the cookies have the right amount of chocolate chips in them
0: well you're not going to offer them if you think they're shit right yeah yeah yeah. they've got to
1: be good enough to offer
0: you've got to enjoy it and say well maybe you will maybe you won't i don't know that's not up to me right that's out of my hands and And it's not a judgment on me. It's a judgment on this, on these cookies.
1: Yeah. 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 And, and who knows whether you like them or not, who knows whether, you know, the conditions in the world or such that make those cookies taste good or whatever. Or maybe you've gone to
0: a party of people who are, you know, gluten sensitive and you made fucking (laughs) oatmeal cookies. Like, well, that doesn't mean they're bad cookies that nobody ate any. Right.
1: Yes. That's true. That's true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen um, uh, Searching for Sugar Man?
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's one of my favorite documentaries.
0: Well, I th- I feel like he exemplifies this, right? Like he created yeah. his music. It seemed like nobody was eating his cookies. And he forgot about it. And it turns yeah. out somebody took his cookies to a different party where they were, you know, everyone's favorite thing. And he had no yeah. idea. I mean, what an amazing yeah you know egolessness you know the guy he was like
1: working as a roofer or something
0: he was doing demo in detroit yeah yeah yeah. down walls but he wore a suit to work i mean yeah what yeah Yeah. i love that film yeah i do
1: too i do too yeah and that music i listen to rodriguez all the time yeah it's incredibly good music yeah yeah crazy all right dude speaking of cookies i gotta go eat all right well, Chris, I I just I I feel like I've I've thanked you ad nauseum throughout these three mentorship moments, but I I just as it's coming to a close, man, I, I got to thank you one more time. Like this this, you know, I, I I started this with just a wild email that I never thought would be responded, and you know now I'm I feel like I'm leaving with like, you know, quit my job. I'm going to Hawaii to farm. I've had <laughs> a lot of extremely extremely useful and important and, and clarifying conversations with my, with my girlfriend about monogamy and our relationship. And I've, I've learned what it's like to, to be on a podcast and to talk to someone who I deeply, deeply respect. And now I've got this, this kind of new, these thoughts on, on, on art and creation to think about and, and performativeness. I just have gotten so much out of this. And, you know, I know you kind of, took a chance on bringing a random stranger on, on your, your podcast. And I just, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate all the authentic, amazing stuff you put out into, into the world. And, and so, Thanks, man. I just really appreciate you, sir.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, don't be a stranger. I won't take hap- you up on that. Always yeah. happy to chat, whether it's, you know, for publication or, or just privately.
3: Yeah, back thanks. at
0: you, and and thanks. Yeah, I mean, look, the value of this is, I think, mostly in in the kinds of questions that you bring and and the thoughtfulness that that uh, you bring to the conversation. So, I really appreciate that. I feel like it's, I can't think of anything that's a better use of my time than engaging uh, with somebody like you. So, oh, man. thank you for that.
2: He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel Say what you want to say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day